Welcome to The Voice of Retail for the week of March 4th, 2019. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, founder and president of M.E. LeBlanc & Company. This podcast is produced in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada and sponsored by Stream Commerce, North America's fastest-growing Shopify Plus agency. Learn more at streamcommerce.com. Back from Sin City, Las Vegas, where I attended Shop Talk 2019, did a whole special edition podcast on uh, that great conference, so tune into that. Uh, that was published earlier in the week. So if you want to go into all the insights and things I learned, be sure and check out that podcast. Uh, also visited while I was in Las Vegas, two amazing cannabis retail stores, retail cannabis being legal in Nevada, uh, Planet 13 and MedMen. So I'll be chatting a bit about that later in the podcast. But first, uh, in this edition, part two of my interview with Paula Courtney from Wise Plum on understanding the Canadian consumer and uh, also chatting with Retail Council of Canada, Sean Terry, the editor-in-chief of Canadian Retail Magazine, about the latest edition and what can be found in there. And then, of course, the news of the week. But uh, let's get started right now with my interview with Paula Courtney, President and CEO of Wise Plum on Understanding the Canadian Consumer. Paula, welcome back to Voice Retail Podcast. Great to have you back for this, the second part of our, uh, our discussion on this groundbreaking study understanding the Canadian consumer in 2018. Uh, welcome back. I want to start off with an observation. Um, you know, this study is is so deep. I often have been in the place of, you know, as retailers, we get bombarded with studies. There's no shortage of content these days. And, and studies fall into one or kind of two or three categories. One is it's telling me the most obvious stuff in the world. Yep, knew that. Okay, can't really use that study. Two, points in some directions about some interesting observations or answers some questions, but there's really not enough depth to it. They haven't asked enough people. There's something that goes, eh, that's interesting, but I really can't use this. And then three, and I really genuinely do think your uh, study, our study, the, the study falls into this category. It, it, it has depth. And I wanted, I was looking through it, pay, question number 166, but who's counting? Uh, and it actually asks packaging waste and e-commerce question. And it says, and, and tell me what that number said, because I think for some, um, this idea comes up every now and then it comes up over cocktail conversation, but now we have data to answer an anecdotal question. Tell me what you found out about what consumers are thinking when they shop online, the package arrives, is there just too much packaging in that package or what are they thinking? So I'm glad that you brought this up. And first of all, thanks for having me back. I'm glad that you brought this question up because I would say that this was the most counterintuitive finding that um, we collectively, both at Google and at RCC and at Wise Plum, um, really uncovered. And that is that the majority of people, 81%, when asked uh, which of the following best describes, you know, the packaging used for shipping the product that 81% said, you know what, just the right amount of packaging, because the options for them were, is it just the right amount? Is it too much packaging causing unnecessary waste? And is there not enough packaging, which may have resulted in damage during shipment? And so we didn't think that damage during shipment or, you know, not enough packaging, we didn't think that was going to come up as, you know, the most prevalent, uh, but it, 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 and it wasn't, although it was second that the first one was that, you know what, just the right amount of packaging. So so huh. I think I can explain what this is. So the reason why 1,744 people said this 
is because I, uh, what we didn't sort of cross-reference this against was how frequently people are ordering online. So if you are making a purchase online and it's being shipped to your home, maybe once a month, you know, Mm -hmm. you might fall into this bucket. Yeah, that was just enough. But when you are a frequent um, sort of online shopper, and now I would say that the U.S., I believe that of all the questions that we asked, U.S. respondents might answer differently. Remember that the U.S., is a market, consumers in the U.S. were catalog shoppers. So sure, sure. an industry uh, in the U.S. where ordering and receiving a product afterwards is more common. There's a long history of that in the U.S. So in the U.S., we might have consumers that are used to receiving packages on a daily basis. In fact, At the conference, at the store conference, RCC, one of the presenters who was American presented that there isn't a day that goes by that there aren't three or four packages being delivered to her home every single day. And I remember her saying that, like, of course, that's commonplace. And then at Mm -hmm. White Plum, we have a U.S. team and we speak to them and they're like, we're getting three or four packages delivered to their home weekly. So I think that if we were to organize these findings by how frequently you're receiving packages, you start to see that your garbage bin at the end of the week is really filled. And you why, know, I, you I, not, why you might not think that an individual package has excessive packaging, which is maybe how respondents thought of when they looked at this question. The bigger question is, this online ordering creates so much waste that at the end of the week, when you look at your recycling bin, it's all those boxes that were broken down from all your deliveries. And and I think that's why Amazon just announced that now consumers, actually, I think this announcement just came out today, mm-hmm. that consumers can now select the date that they want their packages delivered for all of their orders and that Amazon would then consolidate um, all of those deliveries to reduce packaging. So clearly there's been feedback and they're responding to it. So I think that's why I believe that this finding, while completely doesn't seem intuitive because there isn't a person that I speak to that doesn't comment on this issue, that with online ordering, particularly Prime with Amazon and other you know, same day or same hour delivering that you're just amassing all this waste. So I, well, I it's, it, it, it's an interesting nuance to the question. I didn't conceive of it that way, but you're absolutely right. I look out and I'm a frequent, uh, online shopper. So I look out, uh, my back door where my recycling goes and I have one of those ginormous bins. Thank God it fills up every two weeks, but then I have a whole other repository of boxes that I just chuck because I can't get them in every week. And so it's more of the cumulative effect. And that's a bit of a gnarlier one. Like so it feels like, in general, the industry is putting the right amount of packaging in the right individual product, notwithstanding be able to consolidate, which I think Amazon is, you know, 
we'll make an announcement like that for a couple of purposes. One is is they were also announced a sustainability initiative and announcements and packaging. By the way, it's no coincidence that they've announced these just after getting kicked out of New York City. So they're they're feeling, I think, a little bruised in the public opinion. So uh, it's a good idea to um, to address some of these other issues. Probably saves them some money too, in some ways, consolidating and shipping once versus the other. So that's an interesting. Uh, perspective around it's not the individual package it's the number of them and that's a bit of a gnarly issue because of course we all want them to order more stuff um you know it's and you know no matter what uh, you're shopping from you're shopping online you're going to be getting packages delivered and thanks for taking us through that that's that was one of the things and and actually you you cut me off at the past so to speak because my next question was going to be is there any You've been doing this a long time. Is there any result or finding that jumped out at you as, as surprising? And, and you, we've kind of uh, answered two questions uh, in one. So thanks for that. Um, tell me about when you look at this report, how can re- retailers take advantage of some of the, the trends and insights from this report? Again, you know, back to my first comments, retailers see a lot of reports, good, bad, or uh, indifferent. Um First, I got to suss through that. But then, okay, now I've got this report in front of me. I've got understanding the Canadian consumer. It's 240 pages long, um, tons of data. So I'm glad that How, you asked that. Step? And the good news is that we've cons- we've been able to merchandise the findings in a way that brings the three or four nuggets of this entire study right to the first, you know, literally within the first three or four pages. That's all you need to read. Uh, We have an executive um, summary that's available, uh, but it's available in the big report if people choose to download it. And I would think that, you know, you know, we've we've nailed down the insights, um, packaged them up in little sound bites. And if I was to say, listen, if there's one insight to truly deliver, not only am I going to say that this is the single most important finding, but it also resonates with you know, 20 years of research that that I've been personally involved with, um, having been in the customer experience measurement space for so long, that it all comes down to delivering on a, in a consistent fashion on the basics uh, and, and doing it flawlessly. So we don't want fancy things. Consumers, you know, I know there's so much technology. You go to the conferences like the NRF and you see these amazing you know, ARU and VRU, you know, you're looking at virtual reality and AI and how everyone's so excited mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. that. Just like social media became such an important thing to consider. Oh my God, people are, you know, augmenting their voice through social, you know, social media. And how do we capitalize on that? <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's like Payless who did the brilliant kind of fun thing for the influencers and prank the influencers last year, but then just went out of business because, you know, the, the, they announced officially that we, you know, we're just not ready for modern retail. So the basics um, and what are the, the basics? basics? Right? And it's that, you know, make it easy. So what does easy mean? Easy is a big word. I call it a plastic word because there's so many different interpretations, but faster checkout. This is uh, the set you, you asked about, you were going to ask about the most surprising finding, and we talked about the uh, the waste that people are perceiving waste for a single shipment. But I think the, the cumulative effect is definitely a different question to have posed. Perhaps that's one we'll do next year. But the second most counterintuitive finding was that although you know we know that online experiences are fraught with friction, we 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 uncovered that last year, so that's not big news again this year. But what was big news was that 
where in the cycle is the friction occurring for that online customer? And it's occurring in the checkout and it's occurring in the process of purchasing. So you would think, well, wait a second, maybe it's the navigation or the photos take too long to load um, or, you know, it's not easy to find out if there's products in stock. There's all sorts of things, but it's really the checkout experience. So regardless of the channel that you are purchasing in, make the checkout experience faster. So we're picking up that speed matters. So that's simple. We're also picking up that the stock out, which every retailer will know that this is a problem that they battle with day in and day out is inventory management and ensuring that demand and supply are in harmony, you know, um, but consumers want not just that the product is available because yep, I yep. think that's a misnomer. So it's not that you have to supply, you know, warehouses of stuff, but can you give the consumer information that you don't have it versus you do have it and do it early enough in the, in the shopping yeah, journey to reduce and remove that friction. So that's the second thing. And then the third is the right. assortment. You know, the online world has given us the ability to have the globe as our shopping mall. So retailers who can provide broader assortment, I think will win. Um, but I think that's really third uh, after that speed of checkout and that product being there or not there. You know, it, it, I thought you're going to go in a different direction with that third point, because I'm I've been on both sides, worked for retailers with this massive you know, the everything store as Amazon would describe it. And then I've worked with retailers that have a very curated assortment. And I, I worry, and my general where I land on the spot is is the tyranny of choice. Like it's too much choice. And, and I think a merchant's job is in whatever how and whatever way it fits their format is to choose and present to customers a, an edited assortment based on a bunch of things, basically their skill of choosing as opposed to, okay, here's the million things in the universe you go figure it out, right? So, I, it, it, what, where do you fall in that? Like, even as a consumer, where do you, where do you fall in that? Do you walk like to walk in a store and go, "There's five thousand drills I can choose from. I don't know where to start. I just want a drill that you know can put a deck together." And where I don't even know where to start sometimes when you uh, when you look so at these long parts. Where do you that fall you in that? Say that um, so I fall in. I prefer. It depends on the the thing that I'm looking to buy, but I think that while I may state that I want more choices, and this is what consumers will say, it's not in sync with their behavior. And there have been social science studies done. I just mm. heard uh, Sonia Marciano. She is a professor out of um, the Sloan School of Management in New York City. And I attended one of her lectures that she did here in Toronto on you know, good choices and bad choices and the art and science of, 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 you know, getting everything like what, you know, and how, when consumers are faced with lots of mm -hmm. choices, they actually, uh, get very stressed. Like it creates, um, paralysis of decision-making when there is too much choice. And, and then they don't even feel, and then it feels like, and I know this is the case, I, I don't even feel good about the purchase because I'm not even sure I did the right thing. Um, like, I, okay, I chose the one I, I like, but boy, there are so many others. Like, it's the kind of, you know, 
that's FOMO, <laughs> modern day FOMO in retail, right? Geez, did I actually pick the right set of faucet out of those 200 faucets? I think I did, but I'm not, you know. I'm, You're right. I'm, I'm so I really you. think that assortment um, is going to vary by retail vertical. Um, it's also going to be, it's going to vary. Like, I don't think you want to walk into a store for a TV and there are only two choices. Um, the big one and the small one, you know, like, I think that right. might be a problem. Um, so, so to me, I think it really is dependent on the category, but in general, I do believe if there's too many choices, the key is finding the right balance. And I think with good customer insight, retailers probably can find that right balance. All right. So speaking of good customer insight, we have some actionable things that are happening today. What about tomorrow? Two to three years, you know, in the future, is there something here in the state of retail that some footprints in the sand, some some whispers, some indicators from what you heard in this report that to um, point retailers you know, in I any think particular that direction? The opportunity. So I always believe that any articulated um, insight that you get from any study that you do, um, even if you ask customers what they might want in the future, that's actually just a, a different version of asking what they're not getting today. So. I would say to reframe the answer or reframe the question, are there opportunities to do something differently looking ahead 18 to 24 months? And I think we really need to figure out how to make the payment process easier for traditional retailers, how we can. And I know that Amazon has experimented with sort of the, you know, cashier list, the everything list, you know, maybe physically be anywhere where they're they're expanding with those stores and they are expanding their footprint in those stores. So we're seeing signs of innovators like Amazon um, making it easy. So, and I wonder, I wonder if that point I was looking at uh, and chatting about um, Alibaba's Hama, which is now called uh, free Shippo. And they went from one store to 27 last year and there's no cash registers. Everything is, a BYOD, bring your own device. Everything's with Alipay. Like it's it's consumers can find out, scan the product, find out about the product, and then on the way out, they just pay with their device. Like it is that what frictionless looks like in the future in, so. in North I, America? Or is that I a particular think that's what thing? We as retailers, and you know, what do you think? Not that I'm a retailer, but I certainly work in this space. I think that if retail wants to know what's happening in the future, where are things going? All they need to do is turn their heads to the organizations that have the deepest pockets and what are they funding? What strategies are they funding? Is typically those strategies, not always clearly, but typically they are backed by a tremendous amount of consumer insight and consumer feedback. So they're picking up the buzz. This is the direction they're putting their money in. And it, it's a good way to say, you know, do they know something that had we have a limitless, you know, but you know, budget and funding pool, that we would learn the same. Sure, and our sure. study is saying that the payment process is still fraught with friction, and maybe that's why the Amazons and the Alibabas are creating uh, a frictionless payment process through their new retail format. So, so I think that's that's what I would say. But always look to the people with the deepest pockets. What are they funding? Uh, what service strategies are they experimenting with? That's typically a signal to where they think the future is going. We'll call that between uh, yeah, between us. Follower. We'll call that the fast follower strategy. 
see what see what works and and follow behind it pretty quickly before they get too far ahead and you can't catch up. Listen, I wanted to to once again thank you for taking the time. Uh, you and I actually we haven't talked about this. Have known each other for a long time based on some work you did with uh, one of my past lives in the shopping channel. And, and and I remember one of the most important things I took away from the shopping channel from you and from and from Ted Starkman was that the a consumer issue or a consumer complaint or a consumer problem shouldn't be seen um, or should be seen as a gift. And I've taken that philosophy through the rest of my entire career and, and continue to act on it. And it's really turned around the way I see customer service and, and customer issues in, in, in a day. So I wanted to thank you for that uh, personally, because you, you really opened my eyes to a different way uh, to look at uh, customer feedback. So thank you. Uh, and I wanted to, yes, uh, again, how do people get in um, touch with you if I, they wanted they to uh, get reach in touch out? With info and, uh, at wiseplum.com. I will get all those emails or paula.courtney at wiseplum.com. Uh, those are the two best ways. I'm always uh, in front of my phone or my computer. Uh, so I will uh, always try to get back to you uh, within the same day. So I look forward to hearing from people. But thank you so much for inviting me, Michael. Always a pleasure working with you and talking to you. Yeah. And, and you know what? I'd add one thing that we both forgot is they'll be able to meet you in person live as you host and moderate Retail Council of Canada's Retail Marketing uh, Day conference on April 18th in Toronto. You're moderating and uh, the you're emceeing the whole event and, and then moderating yes, a session that goes continue to go deeper on the study so uh fantastic so listen have a wonderful day uh look forward to talking to you again soon and once again thanks for being on the voice retail podcast John, welcome back to The Voice of Retail, another great edition of Canadian Retailer on the shelves, Unified Commerce. Tell us all about it. Latest issue of Canadian Retailer, as you said, uh, Unified Retail Commerce uh, hit hit uh, digital inboxes, actually, uh, within the last couple of days. And in that, we, we explore the whole notion of Unified Retail and... Um, some of the technologies that are required uh, by businesses to go beyond omni-channel and uh, into the world of unified retail. Quite a lofty goal but uh, um, for businesses and for the, the magazine, but we tackled it. We also, considering the fact that uh, 20% of mobile searches currently today are uh, made up by voice search, uh, which is expected to grow to 50% by 2020, we take a look at the idea of shoppable video and how uh, platforms like YouTube and others can serve as a uh, additional retail commerce channel for, uh, for businesses going forward. We also take a look at social media and uh, how marketers, retail marketers, are leveraging those channels to reach consumers and uh, really drive awareness of the brand and uh, the product and offering that they have. Uh, I really think I really think you guys are you're really on the right track. I just got back from Shop Talk 2019 in Las Vegas, fresh off the plane, so to speak. And, you know, what what struck me was how no one was talking in terms of this is the e-commerce channel or this is the store channel or this is the phone channel or this is whatever. It's, it's, it's this unified version as you, as, as you so correctly um, edited in the magazine that it's this one look 
Uh, so it's a very very contemporary look at uh, at modern retail. So I think you guys nailed it from a from a concept. Uh, Excellent. Concept Thanks sure. very much, Mike. And just to uh, to add to uh, what you just said, yeah, um, it's the whole idea of unified commerce is obviously to uh, create a more seamless, more consistent uh, experience for the customer. But what what ends up happening um, for retailers is they they are able to uh, take a look at. Uh, the data, customer data holistically without drawing from uh, different sources. And it really helps them get closer to the customer and in the end, improve the experience for them. You know, another thing that I'm really excited about uh, that you were talking about was this voice commerce and the head or the the chief evangelist from uh, Amazon's Alexa and Echo was on the stage, uh, David Isbitsky. And he uh, didn't really answer a lot of questions about how big commerce would be, kind of skipped or avoided those questions. But he, he said a couple of really interesting things, and I think it's reflected in the content in the magazine. First of all, um, the next generation of voices, you know, it's hard to say even next generation. It's already next generation. It's not even there yet. But he talked about how the car is the next big place for Alexa and voice because of it. You know, he described how you can turn those those wasted minutes into productivity. Hey, geez, I need another, I need another uh, bottle of uh, shampoo. Order that up for me, Alexa, kind of as you're driving down the road or something. And then how you could play games with it, with the kids in the car on the long road trip. So I thought that was interesting. And then he also talked about how um, people were saying, well, are you sure that, you know, consumers are going to adopt this voice? And he said, listen, how many of us now, when we look at a screen, want to touch it, even though it's not touch enabled, like the, the human interface changes, right? People get used to different things. So he made that analogy with voice. So once again, I, I think you're spot Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks very much. And uh, yeah, again, uh, you know, being obviously being where the consumer is and, um, and no, no matter where that is and uh, allowing them to interact with mm-hmm. your brand uh, in whatever way they want is, is really critical. And Speaking of, uh, with the help of Salesforce, who contributed data, recent data that they compiled, uh, we take a look at uh, the different generations, actually, and how uh, boomers and uh, Gen Z and millennials interact with brands and, uh, you know, their preferences and uh, tastes and whatnot. And we, uh, we round off the issue with uh, a look at the state of the Canadian mall and um, uh, some uh, recent research and a report that Retail Council of Canada released on uh, Canadian shopping centres, which is uh, really interesting, taking a look at uh, sales per square foot and uh, some of the leading malls in Canada, which is a really interesting read. So let's talk about, uh, I I know your your production cycle, you're already working hard on the next issue. What uh, what can we expect for the uh, the next issue and when uh, well, when we sh- um, when should we expect that? We're working on our annual it's an, it's an exciting issue, our annual food and grocery issue. We we take a look at the evolution of grocery e-commerce uh which has come a long way uh through mm-hmm. the years. We mm-hmm. take a look at its current state and uh where we might be heading with respect to uh ordering food uh throughout uh, all of the different channels available. We take a look at uh, Mm. food traceability, something else that is going through uh, uh, evolution of sorts and um, some of the technologies that enable uh, uh, food purveyors to uh, trace, you know, let them, um, give them the opportunity to trace their their food back to its origin and provide that information to the end consumer. Uh, And we also take a look at uh, how mobile is impacting grocery and uh, 
some of the things that re- uh, grocery retailers can do to leverage the technology and the devices that are already in the, in the hands of consumers. Definitely something to look, to look forward to. I guess that's going to be available in time for the uh, the Great Canadian Grand Prix Awards Absolutely, in May. Yeah. Is that it, is that uh, about the time? Hit, uh, stands and inboxes uh, toward the end of April, uh, and we'll also be on hand at uh, Retail Council of Canada's annual store conference. All right. Well, fantastic. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us uh, again, Sean. We'll have you back on to get even more details about the uh, grocery edition uh, out in April. Fantastic. And uh, have a wonderful day. Thanks again for joining us. All right. Let's jump into uh, retail for the week, starting off with uh, a couple of articles, one interview actually and one article on uh, Hudson's Bay. CEO Helena Folks talking about the changes she's making to Hudson's Bay. Of course, last week uh, announcing in, uh, in Canada the closure of uh, Ohm Outfitters and also announcing the uh, end of any Saks uh, Fifth or Saks Fifth Avenue expansion in Canada. They're selling, already had it sold, Lord & Taylor flagship on uh, on Fifth Avenue to WeWork. Um, it's a good article from Fortune. By the way, most of the articles I'm referencing here are from Retail Council of Canada's Retail This Week email that comes out each and every Friday. I pull that together, a curated look at all the interesting stories of the week, so be sure and subscribe for free, retailcouncil.org. Uh, the more interesting thing than the article is actually a nice uh, feature-length interview uh, with Kara Swisser at the um, Code Conference, Code Commerce Conference. Uh, actually, just kind of an interview that was part of Shop Talk 2019. It's a nice full-length interview. Uh, Kara is a master interviewer and uh, really gets some great insights out of uh, out of Hudson's Bay CEO Elena Folks. So be sure and listen to that. By the way, since I'm on video, I included two videos actually from that same. Uh, evening session, which was the Monday night at Shop Talk. Um, another interview, another full-length interview with Poshmark CEO Manish Chandra. And if you don't know Poshmark, check it out. Watch the interview. Very insightful. It's about you know uh, reusing. He's developed a marketplace uh, for where people can sell, buy, and sell. It's a social marketplace for apparel. It's really a next-generation uh, uh, e-commerce site. So be sure and check out uh, both interviews. Um, death of bricks and mortar greatly exaggerated, according to the business in Vancouver. Uh, interview here with uh, David Ian Gray from Vancouver, uh, talking about uh, no question radical change. Of course, if you're a frequent listener to the Voice Retail podcast, I've been talking about the retail apocalypse as a myth, uh, a media narrative, a canard for about two years now. There's no question there's a ton of change going on. In fact, we know that in 2018, there's more uh, square footage closed in the U.S., for example, than in uh, 2017. I think 2019 is heading already uh, in a very, uh, a very aggressive direction as stores continue to re-sort themselves according to modern retail. And same thing's happening in Canada, of course, with the closure of Payless Shoes, uh, closure, as I just mentioned, of uh, Hudson's Bay Home Outfitters stores. So uh, there are closures happening here, but there's also great, tremendous success. Many retailers are doing very well. Uh, so it is a, a fierce game. And uh, this article just highlights that um, the death of br- bricks and mortar is greatly exaggerated. Uh, another article here on uh, the short seller who went after Dollarama and actually uh, put their stock under some prices from National Post says uh, Canada is a good market to go do more of that. Um, so that's not so great, really. But um, that's article from the National Post. Check that one out. Uh, L.L. Bean announces a location of first store in Canada. They're going into Oakville Place. 
just outside of Toronto, that from Retail Insider. Uh, so look out for that. LL Bean opening stores across the country in 2019. So counters the fact that stores are closing. Uh, so there's one example in the same e-newsletter proving uh, the point. Uh, article from the Globe and Mail following that, Canadian retailers braced for a rocky year. I, you know, I touched upon this. Uh, if you're a member of Retail Council of Canada, you would have access uh, to the Retail Conditions Report Outlook 2019 that uh, we just published, Retail Council of Canada just published that I helped author and will continue to help author each and every quarter. Really, the retailers looking ahead, um, you know, what keeps them up at night is uh, things such as, uh, you know, when interest rates go up, down or sideways, how does that affect uh, domestic uh, growth and how does that affect disposable income? So uh, some numbers came out uh, last Friday uh, that talked about quarter gross uh, gross domestic product only expanding at 0.04%. Uh, uh, so looks like a softness in house, household spending. So we'll be keeping a close eye on that. That again uh, from the Globe and Mail. Um, if further in news, as we head uh, as we head south, we look at uh, sorry retail around the world. Amazon is closing all their pop up stores, and as it's going to though expand their bookstores and expand their four star stores. I talked about a visit to the four star store uh, not too long ago. Uh, in a uh, many recent editions, we went to New York. Uh, so it's interesting, you know. They Amazon is is very um, very famous for not being shy about pulling investments that are not working. Uh, so uh, no nothing here to see other than uh, they're going to redouble their efforts. And of course, Amazon also announced that they'd be opening up uh, a chain of grocery stores next week, or sorry, in 2019, starting 2019 over and above Whole Foods. So uh, they're certainly not abandoning bricks and mortar. That's for sure. Uh, as much as there is excitement at Shop Talk about retail, it's also retailers who are struggling and continue to struggle. Diesel U.S. files Chapter 11, that from Retail Dive. So uh, Diesel just suffering from a general downturn in brick and mortar, expensive long-term leases, and multiple instances of theft and fraud, uh, according to supplemental court documents. That's an interesting uh, addition to that story. I didn't really dig any deeper, but uh, hmm, that's an interesting thing to put in there, uh, Chapter 11, so more to th- more to follow on that, no doubt. Uh, Gap to acquire Jimboree's J- Janney and Jack line, children's place to buy Jimboree brand. Uh, so Jimboree went bankrupt, but the parts are being uh, broken up and bought by other companies, This, in this case, the Gap, who themselves launched some store closers, announced some store closing, so, and splitting of the company into different parts. So lots going on in retail, right? Lots of different things happening, but there's still buying and selling going on. You know, at the same time, Gap is uh, dividing Gap from Old Navy uh, and Banana, and that helped with their stock, Banana Republic. Uh, They're also looking to acquire and grow. So uh, on the other side, Tesla announces they're going to close all of their stores after a couple of weeks ago announcing they were going to open 16 of them. Uh, So not unusual, uh, I guess, that Tesla goes back and forth on their decisions and makes uh, those. So that's an interesting, I mean, you know, the Tesla stores were very high productivity stores in in malls, in A malls. There's uh, one in Yorkdale, for example, that I guess is now going to close. And the idea from uh, from Tesla is that they'll put those costs uh, into uh, those cost savings, which they say is about 6%. Um, the cost of running those stores. But uh, as we all know, that's not a linear equation. Uh, They may sell less uh, cars. Anyway, we'll keep a close eye on that. I I know I keep saying that a lot, but uh, lots of stories to be followed up later. Uh, Target uh, talking about... uh, Target had great results, though uh, the Target CEO is tempering that a little bit. He says, I'm not going negative. It's still still very uh, stable, but it's going to ebb and flow. So uh, a little bit of hedging uh, or chicken little 
from um, Brian Cornell from Target about the uh, 2019 outlook in the U.S. Uh, that from CNBC. Retail news for entrepreneurs. A couple of great stories. Crowdfunding campaign uh, for a new Edmonton bookstore. There's some two gentlemen, uh, Jason Purcell and Matthew Spetnik, have uh, turned to a uh, fundraiser raising more than 13500 opening glass bookshop, a, book, a bookstore, wine bar, and community space dedicated to promoting diverse voices. That from Quill Inquire. Uh, from the Toronto.com, Bloor West Residence Protest Bike Shop liquor license it's a funny thing you know this this guy runs a, a bike store and he basically says uh uh you know i'd like to get a liquor license so i can have a little uh you know serve a little alcohol a little drink after a long ride and people are freaking out thinking people are going to be uh you know driving around uh drunk on bicycles it's really kind of a strange reaction um but um, you know good luck to good luck to that liquor license application uh from toronto life uh, lots of great pictures and an insight on unboxed market foods uh, Toronto's new waste-free grocery store. It's an interesting concept where they mainly really take together uh, a grocery store and take away all packaging. So they have uh, bulk food, bulk olive oil, uh, bulk uh, vegetables with uh, with canvas bags. So really worth checking out. Uh, really interesting shop. Some great pictures courtesy of Toronto Life. Uh, from CBC London, Ontario, could get an official pot shop on Richmond Row. Uh, so another one of the uh, the lottery winners planning to open in um, uh, in stretches between Windsor through London and uh, this from the CBC talking about opening in London. So I guess that's a good time as any to talk about my quick store visits uh, to Planet 13 and Medman in Las Vegas. A couple of locations, massive locations, both open 24 by 7. You know, it's worth almost a full podcast talking about uh, the observations there, but really uh, interesting to see how they merchandised uh, product, such a variety of product. And really what struck me uh, different uh, is uh, the presence of uh, and how much there were in, in edibles and how what a great variety there was. So as we all know, edibles uh, soon to be legalized or legalized this year. You can learn more about edibles retail cannabis at our Retail Council of Canada's upcoming Retail Cannabis Forum. I'll be hosting and moderating a session on retail store experience and also a quick scan coast to coast of regulatory affairs as they affect um, as they affect retail stores. And uh, Avery from our uh, West Coast office will be talking about the latest in edible uh, edible legislation. So be sure and tune in or <laughs> be sure and visit uh, on March 16th uh, in, uh, in Toronto uh, for the Retail Cannabis uh, symposium. Uh, wrapping up with a couple other stories, uh, we've got some stories that are in kind of the unified commerce story, use of alternative payments up 14%. That's from Strategy Magazine. Uh, Target again in the news talking about their $7 billion investment in tech is paying off. Uh, we heard that in Shop Talk. It's now not the time to be uh, not investing. And that's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael LeBlanc from M.E. LeBlanc and Company, Inc. Learn more about me on www.meleblanc.com. Co. And if you like this podcast, be sure and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. So until next week, remember, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Unless that is, it's listening to the special edition Shop Talk 2019 podcast now available. This stuff just writes itself some weeks. Have a great week.